Attention! Is film like milk? Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm, damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a film has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me as ever is the man in the mask himself, David William Rogers. Hello to you. Hello. How is it going? It's going. I made us run late today because everything was going wrong in my life. So our guests got to watch Love Island, a truly delightful and well-crafted show, just like the movie we are doing today, David. What is the film we are discussing today? So hold on. First of all, that was just my initials I did real quick. We are doing The Mask of Zorro, 1998, directed by Martin Campbell. Writing credits go to Johnston McCulley, who created the character of Zorro, Ted Elliott, Terry Ra- Rosio, and Randall Jansen. Johansson? I don't know. That's a that's a weird name. Um, and then, you uh, can't John- say that. That's yeah. a, get canceled for stuff like that. <laughs> okay. Terry Rosio Randall Jansen. That's a great name. <laughs> John Escal, Ted Elliott, and Terry also did the screenplay. Um, this stars a lot of actors that you've probably seen in your lifetime because this movie came out in 98. If you're around our age, I remember seeing this movie as a little kid. And then as I appreciated film and movie more growing up, re-watching this I've seen a lot of these people and I was like oh that person's been in this that person's been in that but the main hitters um Antonio Banderas Mm -hmm. who also is in what is it Boots Boots and Puss which we'll talk about a little bit because that was interesting to me um Catherine have you seen the new Puss and Boots I haven't seen a new one but I tried to get people to go to the movie theater with me because apparently it was amazing and everyone was like oh kids movie and now Oh yeah, I would have saw it there. But um, Catherine Zeta Jones, uh, Pedro, let's see, Armin Dares Jr. I can't pronounce his last name that great. (laughs) I'm struggling with some of these names. Coming in hot and strong with the Uh, names. Tony Gennaro, who was in a recent movie, Paris. I don't know if you remember seeing him. Did you Did you recognize him? Mm -mm. He was in Tremors. Oh, yeah. David's favorite <laughs> A A plus plus movie, and uh, one of our main mans, Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of heavy hitters. I thought this had great acting. We'll jump into all of that, obviously, during the podcast. But mm-hmm. Paris, had you seen this movie? Before? I had never seen this movie before, and I think I should have to do the synopsis as like a punishment. To yeah, be honest. It's, it's also your turn. So both okay, work. Both are good. You. Well, yeah. this is a movie about uh, a man wronged, uh, a man in a mask who is, you know, a friend to the people, saves people in uh, California in the time of the Dons, which I feel like is the 1800s, but somebody correct me. And he essentially gets captured. His wife gets killed. His baby is taken by this bad guy. And then he goes to prison and the chunk of the main chunk of the movie is that he meets Antonio Banderas's character and Antonio Banderas picks up the mask and becomes like the Zorro. So it's a basically like kind of a Robin Hood story in if there were swords and killing people in gold. And that's my that's my synopsis. And yeah, there's lots to talk about, but we are not alone on today's episode. Today, we are joined by my friend Madeline Starr. Hello, Madeline. 
Hi, so excited to be here. Yay, Madeline is a fellow writer. That's I think how we connected when we were assistants. And now she's also a creative executive um, in global film and TV development, but previous credits are as an associate producer on the indie film Sick Girl with Nina Dobrev. And yeah, she's just out here in the biz making things happen. Um, you say that you write mainly YA mystery and supernatural stories with p- particular focus on female friendship and empowerment, and you love historical research. So that is great. And then in your spare time, you knit and you also have a cat who I can see behind you. So yes. lots going on. Lots, uh, <laughs> lots of interests. Varied. Yeah. Audio medium, but she's very cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks for joining us, guys. So you chose this movie, Madeline. You gave me a list of three and I saw this and I was like, no, I enjoy watching a film that I haven't seen before because I'm like, why is there this gap in my film knowledge? So tell us why you chose this film today. I haven't seen this movie probably since I was five years old, mm-hmm. but I just I have such a soft spot for this era of action adventure. Like The Mummy is still one of my favorite films, Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean. It's just such a fun type and era of filmmaking. And then also just Antonio Banderas is so much fun. He's my mom's to one of my mom's top celebrity crushes. Really? So it's my, my personal relationship with That's Antonio. That's a solid choice for your mom, to be <laughs> right? honest. I can see it. Very, yeah. very oh, handsome. I think he was very, debonair. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if she's seen Interview with a Vampire, which is also Antonio as a very sexy vampire in France. I wonder if she is I, familiar. I'm sure she's familiar, but honestly, I don't know if she's okay. seen it. It doesn't seem like her type of movie. <laughs> Long-haired, sexy. Well, hopefully she listens to the podcast and then she's like, aha, an undiscovered sexy Tony Banderas film. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> Desperado, uh, The 13th Warrior, which is a slept-on movie for Antonio. I honestly do not know what she likes him in. I just know that she loves him. <laughs> well, this one, he is very foxy. He, there's, there was one scene where I was like, mm, okay. And he's mm-hmm. got like his shirt unbuttoned quite a bit. And you see like some chest hair poking through. And I was like, oh, that was for the ladies for sure. Oh, absolutely. So Madeline, you hadn't seen this film since five years old. Uh, let's talk about it. Well, let's talk about you first, actually. So what brought you to the film and TV industry. What part of this crazy business were you like, let me be a part of that? I've always been a writer, but it was always uh, prose and novels growing up. And then when I was 17, I went to a summer arts program for Californian kids called CESA that we did a week of screenwriting as part of the creative writing program. And instantly I was just like, oh no, this is it. And just went from there so I still write some prose but mostly now focus on screenwriting and then I went and studied film and tv and in college and just and moved right down here afterwards amazing and how do you find the creative executive world you know which is obviously development heavy how does that feed into your writing passions it is I think one of the best jobs that writers can have while working to to make writing work because it's so creative during the day you're working with writers reading I read two scripts today and last week met with a writer talking about what they're working on what they're passionate about and it's just like it's feeding into that type of creativity in a really different way Mm-hmm. agreed with you yeah, yeah I met with someone today who was like I think development's the best job for writers I mean that's not to say that there aren't people doing development that just love development but it's mm-hmm. it is one of those 
you know, business parts that you get to touch on a lot of different elements of the industry. You're analyzing story. You're also maybe getting to produce. So it's, yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with you. Good yeah, times. You're really seeing what it takes to, to make a show, to make it happen, which is great. What is a genre that you personally gravitate towards as like a development person? Like when you're reading something, when you're seeing something, what are you like, oh, this is so fun? I mean, I just, I'm a YA person. I love YA. I also love a good thriller. Um, and I have a real soft spot for historical fiction, which mm-hmm. leads back to Zorro. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that you remember from a ch- from childhood that this had like, uh, you know, almost like a true life kind of vibe to it, but like historical? For Zorro? Mm-hmm. I don't remember what I thought of it as a kid. I think I thought it was cool. My Honestly, my most significant memories of Zorro now are just Puss in Boots. <laughs> okay, let's talk about it because, David, you brought that up. So yeah. do they le- – I mean, I've only seen, like, the Shrek movies. and I Well, know that's, that where, can- and that's where that character came from, right? And right. so he got to reprise this role of Zorro a little bit. So there's Zor- the Mask of Zorro and the Legend of Zorro. Um, so there is a sequel to this movie and then, yeah, you saw this cat with a mask and he has a sword and everything and he's got boots on <laughs> in Shrek and it's voiced by Antonio Banderas. So yeah, he kind of gets to play that role in an animated series on Shrek and then he got his spinoff with the movies, right? And don't That's forget so- that he, oh, don't forget that he carves the pee into the yeah. trees, <laughs> just like Zorro does. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's funny. I feel like when I saw that, you know, it, this is one of those movies that kind of exists in the cultural, like, you know, I, I know what Zorro is. I knew kind of the story of Zorro, but not really. So it was interesting to sit down and watch like all 210 minutes of this and be like, <laughs> ah, yes, uh, it's all coming together in my mind. So um, was this yeah. too long for you? Is that what you're saying? I think I'm a little <laughs> bit too long. Did you guys not feel that? I, I felt know, what that. Do you think? Yeah. I, I'm going to be the, the odd one out. I loved every minute of this. I thought it moved well. The um, It reminded me kind of of the sets we talked about Paris on Hook and like how fun of an it would be to act on this set or these all these sets. And then I was laughing like a lot of parts with Antonio Banderas and just how funny it was. Like when he'd whistle for the horse and he's having the back and forth with the horse and the horse comes over and then it moves when he jumps, like those kind of scenes and those setups, um, he, he crushed those and I thought they were hilarious. So I I like this every minute of this movie. Okay. I feel like I just have beef with people that, you know, are going over two hours of my time, but like at least this wasn't (laughs) three hours. So I will give it that. Is it different for you watching, streaming it compared to seeing it in theaters? That's the the thing. I think when you're streaming it, it's, you know, when I'm in a theater, like that's a whole experience. I lose track of time. You know, I didn't get up one string Avatar, like the most recent Avatar. And I was nervous because we went to see it at IMAX. We were sat in the fucking middle of the middle. And, you know, those seats in the IMAX, they're so narrow. I was like really worried I was going to have to climb over people. And I lost myself in that film as crazy, you know, as the reviews were of it like some people really didn't like it I think yeah if I'm locked into a film but it is when you're streaming I think it's different I think it's too easy to be distracted I think it's too easy to yeah same for you Madeline with the streaming compared to in the theater yeah I think so it's yeah it's just easier to get up and pause and go get a snack and it Mm -hmm. takes you out of it which I definitely did yesterday watching but there's been a uh, sorry go ahead um no I definitely felt like it was a little slow at times, but I also 
definitely agree with you, David, on the comedic bits. I just thought he would be suave the whole movie. And instead they made him look like an idiot a lot. And it was so fun. And he really performed and leaned into it. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Okay, let's talk about the fact that this is a movie about Spanish people and we have two Welsh people in two of the main roles. So Anthony Hopkins is Welsh. Spanish and Mexican. Mexican? Yeah. Yeah, of Spanish descent, I suppose I should say. But Anthony Hopkins, clearly not Latinx. Would you rather have Sean Connery? Was that who else was up for it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, equally, equally white, just okay. a different pot. But um, also Raul Julia from, um, what is it? Adam's family was also looked at, thought about, and I think he passed away before oh. um, they shot this. But do you know what I'm talking about? He would have been great in this. Yeah. As, Zora, as the OG Zora. I don't know. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones as a Welsh-Irish actor. I mean, that's going to be the first thing that I got to bring up on this podcast, which is Age Like Milk. I just don't think you could get away with, in 2023, casting someone white in this role. Although I'm sure it still happens. Wasn't there recently? There's always controversy where like people are cast. I think Scarlett Johansson was cast as somebody of Asian descent or something. I don't know. Uh, she did that. Ghost yeah. in the Shell, which was an Asian character, but it was fiction, I okay. believe. Yeah, I mean, this is fiction. This isn't based on a no, true story. It's, it's based off a person. But it's not like it's, it's not, not like factual. a recounting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yes, no, you're right. And the fact that it's yeah. based on, I mean, listen, at least Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> we no, got I, one. I, I did because I love historical research. I did look up where the Zoril story comes from tell and us I was, all the things tell us. i was expecting it to be like a like folktale like robin hood mm-hmm. and it's not it was created by an american pulp fiction writer in yep. i think 1919 1919 yep and it's like the first considered the first superhero which made sense with the zorro bat cave um but i was That's trying cool. to see like if it made sense for since antonio Banderas is a spaniard if that was whitewashing or not but i guess he makes sense being a spaniard but yeah the yeah. welsh the welsh folk I think definitely it, i think it was uh he wrote it from a um i think he was mexican and the the guy they uh, base it off of him and uh, another like i think an american were pretty much bandits in northern california and like some soldiers something like that um beat this guy up and then he kind of like sought revenge. And this is kind of loosely based off of this guy. And I think they name one of the kids in the sequel. And his name, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> He's really meta. Just becomes yeah. like, he was the American tagging along. Uh, um, no, I, I don't okay. know if it was that three, three-fingered Jack guy that was also based off of Yeah, so I mean, that's obviously something to look at, right? Like, that's something that kind of, like, bumps right away when you... It's not even, like... Although I did have to Google if Catherine Zeta-Jones was um, of Spanish descent. Because she does look... She was Welsh-Irish. Yeah, I guess a lot of people ask that question because I read an article that was, like, people, like, shocked to learn that she is not. Because I guess she's played a number of characters from different descent and it's probably just like the dark hair and stuff but yeah Antonio or sorry Anthony Hopkins from the opening shot these piercing blue eyes and I and (laughs) Scott was like watching it he was like I'm not gonna watch this one with you and then proceeded to watch almost the entire movie from the kitchen as he was doing something 
even in the opening shot, like he was like, oh, something, something whitewashing. And I was like, I mean, there are people with light eyes from, you know, Mexico and Spain. And then as we got into it, I was like, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Like if it was one, I think you could sneak it under the line. But when you've got like two of the main characters. Yeah. 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 I mean, at least they're father and daughter. So true. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I mean, Catherine Zeta-Jones was glowing like she was gorgeous this whole film absolutely stunning her and antonio had incredible chemistry i will say i can see why this was a favorite of your mom's she was (laughs) the uh antonio and Catherine uh tangoing like that's what that's what cinema is made for Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's bring up something that's maybe not cinema's made for, which is when he cuts off her clothes in the stables and I makes her naked without up. her consent. Also, the he kissed her twice before mm. there was any room for her to like lean in. or She did the third time they kissed, but he smooched her twice during the sword battle. Yeah, she gets her clothes, uh, you know, sorted off. And... It's very vulnerable. And then, you know, they kind of play it off where it was like, it was kind of that funny moment afterwards. Like he runs off and the dad comes in. She's like, he was young and vigorous, very vigorous, which I felt like was a little winkity wink to the audience, a bit naughty in the 1998 era. (laughs) But I was immediately like, that was like, I wrote down in full caps. I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) The question of consent. And then just like, yeah, they, they did have good banter. They did. But it was a bit like he was, you know, tricksing her throughout the entire film. And that's not a good way to start a relationship. My my personal opinion. I was uh, during the fight scene. Like, I was like, okay, I'm looking the other way. He's kissing her. They're both cutting each other's clothes. Whatever. It's the 90s. And then, yeah, he took all of her clothes off. And like, this is <laughs> a ton too far. And it's just her hair covering her boobs. And she's yeah. like, yeah. Madeline, you're like, I don't remember this part when I was five. (laughs) Mom was definitely fast forwarding through that part. Puss in Boots never did that. Yeah. He could never. Cuts off (laughs) Shrek's outfit or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were some violent parts to this too. Like people get shot. People get stabbed. I was very grossed out by the head and the jaw. Did not enjoy that part. And the hand. And the drinking the water. Ugh very unnecessary there was a movie that we watched uh from pedro almodova who's like a famous um spanish or mexican uh, a, f- a favorite of antonio yeah he's mexican wait am i no he's spanish up? he's spanish i we we did that uh on the podcast like way back in the day and we did the devil's backbone which is a great film that everybody mm-hmm. should watch and then go listen to our podcast because i was very stupid about everything and you know obviously don't know amazing cinema but in that they also had like a baby with like a deformed like um spine and the guy drinks from it too and it was like thought to be some like medicinal so i was wondering if the head water was some kind of like so alcohol that is also based off um what the original writer it's mm. true so the, around the time of the gold rush in 1849 um marietta who's the mexican um that antonio Banderas Zorro is based off and Three Finger Jack were bandits active in Northern California. Um, so Marietta moved to California to seek his fortune, but he got beaten and robbed and he swore vengeance on Americans who dishonored him. And then he was mm. killed by Captain Harry Love in 1853, who was known for preserving heads in jars Gross. as trophies as proof of his deed. Yeah. So 
So mm-hmm. that was all, if you know, based on very the, what this writer found on the history. Very effective as like a creepy, gross thing to have in the film. But I was like, no. And then when he drank some of the water, I was like, Bleh. I was like, you're going to be sick for <laughs> quite some time after this. <laughs> well, what's it preserved in? I assume alcohol of some kind. Probably yeah, like you sh- shouldn't be drinking like formaldehyde. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why he got a buzz, I guess. Yeah, he's probably fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this movie was like, it touched on a lot of themes of like classism and, you know, gold rush and cap, I mean, capitalism. Slave labor. Like greed. Yeah, slave labor. It was very sad at the end. Um, so spoiler alert, Catherine Zeta-Jones's character, Elena, gets like a redemption arc and she tries to save these people. But like, they basically just... <clears throat> they're mining for gold and then they're like we can't have any witnesses and they just like trap everyone inside these mines and then they're gonna explode it with the longest fuse in hollywood history but like <laughs> you know <laughs> still oh my god um but yeah there was there was some fucked up shit they they were like little kids working the mines and they were whipping people didn't love it and i hated the prisoner scenes it was so sad and dire yeah i mean which that stuff happened throughout history probably still mm-hmm. happening today and like uh mining for stuff that we put in our phones but it was interesting to see like these rich guys plot to to buy california and then he's so sinister he's like yeah i'm we're stealing gold from santa Ana from his territory to pay him for his lands it's just like you know that's some usa corrupt stuff corrupt right there corrupt, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't expecting in like a swashbuckling fun film to get so explicit about exploitation of Native Californians, mm-hmm. which was pleased that it went there. I mean, not pleased, but interesting that it went interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it had some nuance to it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely had that real life history peppered through to make it feel grounded. Because, I mean, I guess they had to do that because they were like, haha, the Zorro guy. You know, it's like having a Superman movie with like some grounded elements but there was one part where i had to laugh did you guys catch the map that he stole and it just doesn't have any sort of like key it's just like a picture of the land and then it has like some gold like the mine here's where the gold is (laughs) it was like a cartoon (laughs) like this cartographer is shit guys i think you need to find a new guy this is not not working out it's right next to that bush. Look on the map. See? Yeah. <laughs> it's right there for you. Super I, easy to find. X marks the spot. Yeah. Pretty much. A lot of um, animals used in this film. Lots of horses. Interesting. I mean, we did a commercial in 2021 that had like five horses, I want to say. And it was a nightmare. Um, we had American Humane. You have to if you want like to be certified. Um, and I was just thinking like how hard it would be to act with what do they say don't act with babies and animals and this movie was like just kidding let's have so all many horses animals, yeah. and all the children <laughs> running around as extras but still <laughs> i do uh, there is something fantastic about a male protagonist who is at his heart a horse girl which is yes. definitely alejandro <laughs> <laughs> he saw that horse and he's like you will be mine yeah oh exactly we, they're that kindred spirits hard. or whatever he said that's <laughs> and hilarious then he, yeah that he goes and steals it girl. uh yeah i wasn't sure if he was gonna like rescue all the horses but just that one and also didn't zorro have a black horse in the beginning yeah storm was his name storm yeah tornado 
Tornado. Yeah, yeah. Tornado. And then, uh, Antonio Banderas was like yelling different names when he was trying to bring it over. And then he finally whistles. I don't know. That relationship between him and that horse, were, I loved it. It's geeking me out. Duchess. So it's like funny. from uh, Archer. Yeah, that was a special relationship. Okay, what did we think of the romance between our two leads? Buy I liked it. it. Not buy it. Hot. I, I hot. bought it. It was kind of the choice they made at the end when Anthony Hopkins was dying spoiler alert and he grabs that his hand and her hand puts it together and then like passes out and i was like okay (laughs) you could have just said like okay be good to her you know as you're passing away but um yeah i I thought it was believable and it set up a a sequel because they're married sequel i don't know i want to go watch it now i read that it didn't have the best reviews um but i would like to see and i was going to ask you guys how you felt about uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones's character in this, like, was she just for, you know, to move along the story for Antonio Banderas and Zorro and Anthony Hopkins, or did she have her own character arc? And then what I'd like think, to see Madeline, that. How is the, the portrayal sequel. of the woman? Since you write a lot of strong female characters, I thought she was very '90s strong female character, where it's very like she's fair. Yeah. She's still there just for the romance, but you know, she's got some spirit. She she can yeah. sword fight. She's gonna stand up to her dad. Um, yeah, and she like went chased after him in the stables, and then immediately got her clothes cut off. But she was like confronting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was sassing him. And yeah, I'm with you. Very fun way to put it. She was a strong female character for the '90s. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to see the sequel and see if that kept progressing and yeah. her world opened up. The mom in the beginning didn't really. She was a plot device for sure. She gets shot. Yeah. She's like, I'm the hot mom. Ah, now I'm dead. <laughs> um, do you think it's realistic that Catherine Zeta-Jones would call this random stranger her father? And like, she didn't seem very affected by, by the father that had raised her for her entire life. Because, okay, so let's back up. So... Zorro is this Don. His wife gets killed. He has a little baby daughter who is Catherine Zeta-Jones. And then the bad guy steals the baby and like raises it as his own. And then, you know, they all meet later in life. She didn't seem that cut up about the the father. Like this was a lot of information for her to take in. Like you are my dad and my dad, my other dad just died. And now you're dying. Cool. Just seemed like a lot. Do you think she seems sad? I feel like that was my biggest problem with her character was there was no real emotional resonance for her. I feel like if it was done today, she would have a whole subplot investigating who she is and where she really came from. And it would really have that payoff, but it didn't here. Not just the nanny telling her like, no, it's you. I remember. (laughs) I remember you were two months old when I took care of you. And you look all grown up now. Yeah, I you definitely recognize exactly you based off of the two-month-old yeah. baby. Because that's how babies work. Yeah. I don't know. Most of my friends' babies look like potatoes. And I don't think I would recognize them if we'd never met years from now. <laughs> Maybe it was because she looked like her mom, you know? Yeah, that's true. That was good so. casting with the actress who played her mom. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I keep calling him the bad guy. But his name was Don Rafael Montero, played mm-hmm. by Stuart Wilson. So he, yeah, steals this baby. Also, I think not white, or yeah, is white, is from Surrey, England. So they did great. They did great. I guess that's why no one was speaking Spanish in the film, <laughs> except for the people in the town who were obviously locals. But yeah. They had that- Tony, Tony Amendola, Don Luis. He's from Connecticut. <laughs> At least he's got like a Hispanic last name, I guess. 
It's very a uh, period piece. It's just going to be British actors if it's made in America. Doesn't yeah. matter where it actually takes place. Yeah. They did have a bunch of different accents. I mean, it didn't bump me too, too much, but it's funny that Antonio was like, you know, has a thick accent. And then everyone else who's also supposed to be Spanish is just like enunciating very clearly. You can like, just blame ah, the different accents on colonialism. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Done. There we go. Um, was there anything else that bumped for you guys in this film? Hit me with your bumpy bumps. I really, I'll say this in the intro, I really liked the the production set design, mm-hmm. how cool the the mine scenes were with all the ropes and and for Zorro and his like agility, him to jump on stuff. I thought all was cool, especially um, when Anthony Hopkins was doing it to start the movie and he's sword fighting and he's jumping on things, pushing guys through stuff, like getting them stuck in things, using his surroundings to help him out and to fight off some of the villains. It just seemed like a really fun set to be a part. And then, um, yeah, with all the the stunt work incorporated Mm. in that, I thought it was great. Antonio Banderas insisted on doing a lot of his own stunts, which I thought was impressive. And then Anthony Hopkins, they didn't want to include the bullwhip thing, which I think is very iconic. And he insisted and like basically mastered it. And I'm pretty sure Antonio Banderas, I was reading the, um, the weapons master on this film was like, he's one of the best swordsmen I've ever worked with. I saw that as well. Which is very crazy. That's really cool. You just could tell like, you know, your mom's crush. um, (laughs) He has, like a professionalism about him. He obviously was like, I'm going to take this seriously. And I think he embodied the character of Zora very well. Yeah, so definitely. He, he became him. Yeah. He is Zoro. Yeah. Um, okay. So you loved the sets, Madeline, anything bump for you or anything stand out for you in the film? I am curious what you guys thought of the villains. Cause I felt like they were both so cartoonishly evil. Yeah. <laughs> With the, the Captain Love and Don Raphael, they were just, I think out that's there, very like, fair thing twirling to say. their mustaches. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, like, again, like, speaking of emotional connection, I didn't connect to them on their evilness because of that, I think, because they were a bit too cartoonish. Like, if they had scaled back, like, the badness of it all just a bit, it might have been a bit more realistic. I thought the best villain was the captain, you know, who kills you, his brother. He did a great job. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also just the fact that he was, like, super creepy and... And I think that's the difference between these like Don villains who are like, we're going to steal all the gold. And then this guy, it's like the emotional attachment because we care about Zoro. We care about his brother. We care about his friend, Three Fingers. And this guy was just the captain whose name I will pull up in a moment. But he was just like across the board um, evil in a way that was like, I know who you are and I'm going to fuck up your shit. Right? Don't you think that kind of for this type of movie um, needs a couple villains like that? That are a little, like, outgoing and, like you said, cartoonish for a movie like this, a story like this. I don't know. I'm just, I'm questioning it in my head. Do do I think it makes this movie better or would I want somebody more relatable as, like... I just didn't understand their motivation for being, I mean, greed. I just, for for me, whenever... someone's want is attached to like a money thing or a financial gain thing it's less powerful than if someone's goal or you know evil desire is against one person directly i think it was stronger in the beginning when he was trying to find zorro and like kill zorro in rage and like you know we find out that he loved his wife like that whole part of it was more interesting because when it became about the gold um i was like eh, i don't really care or power right land and power 
Yeah. Um, and I that's think not, that's not like a te- like that's not somebody or someone. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. me. what do you think? Madeline? No, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, even that I felt like went a little too far for me. Where I mean, you definitely want them to be unambiguously evil for this type of movie. Um, but where, like at the beginning scene when he first was kidnapping Anthony Hopkins' baby, and he, it's like he says something like, "You're going to know the pain of losing a child, losing a child, someone else raising the child that should have been yours." And then the camera held on him. For like three seconds too long with this <laughs> evil villain grin, <laughs> and I was baby I was in gone. His arms. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna love the shit out of this girl and give her yeah. every single thing in the world. Ha 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 ha! She's gonna get a great education. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna set her up for success, generational yeah. wealth for life. <laughs> she's gonna be rich. <laughs> she's gonna be well educated. She's gonna learn multiple languages. She's gonna yeah. sword fight starting Travel. at four. Yeah. Ha-ha, showed you. <laughs> it was weird how he trained her to sword fight, which is something you wouldn't necessarily do with your daughter at that period. But then he also was like, ah, a woman can't know how to politics work. Yeah. <laughs> Go sword fight over there. I, I did think the one scene was over the top for me when he grabbed her, put the gun to her head. And then he's like, you think I'd shoot my own daughter? It's like, you could have done something else for him to try to get out of that situation. I don't know. There was a whole part of his cartoon villainousness, yeah. yeah, just over the top. Um, but that's okay. That it was a style, right? Like mm-hmm. some of the sword fighting was very over the top, as fun as it was. It was very like this was a stylized movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They they did get a, a pitch from Robert Rodriguez to do this. You guys know who that director is? Yep. And I it think- was. Yeah. much more violent than they were willing to sign off on. So they went with this guy. So I really want to see the grind house. <laughs> Zorro well, didn't up. Robert Rodriguez do Desperado? And that's why they brought him in. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, which is a great movie. Yeah. Didn't he also do Spy Kids? Probably. So, so he got his <laughs> Antonio Banderas film. <laughs> man's got to eat. He's got to put yeah. his kids through international school, get them sword fighting lessons, you know, teach them multiple languages, <laughs> horse riding. Like it's, any good dad. Like any good dad or fake stepdad that like steals you from your dad. Um, well, yeah, this film, you know, it's got a lot going on, but some good things, some bad things. But I want to talk um, before we get too long in the tooth more about you, Madeline. So... If you were able to give any advice to someone who's like starting out in this business and is thinking about film and TV, I mean, you know, you've been in it for a while. What would you, what would you tell them? I'm trying to think of something original. I feel like all the good advice is out there. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it's just like someone needs to hear it at the exact same moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, the cliche one that I think is so true is just read a ton and go go find like at my used bookstore I can find printed out the for your consideration screenplays and I go and I read them and I write notes in them on like why I think a piece of dialogue works plants and payoffs whatever um and that I feel like was so informative for my writing and still is um and then the other one is just if you're if you're lucky enough to be in LA get out there and go meet people and go do things and don't be cynical about it just make genuine connections and that's the best way that you'll learn and grow love that david do you have any questions for her um yes i do well first of all that the second piece of that madeline that 
has been said by a lot of our guests. So I think that always rings true and genuine. And um, so we discuss that a lot. So it's, it's a good reminder just to be a genuine person and make good connections. And, you know, you can build your community from there. But I saw something in your bio that um, Hedy Lamar. Why Hedy Lamar? Why do you have a session <laughs> with Hedy Lamar, and what got you started on that? I did skip over that in the, in the bio. You, you sent us a note. And you're like, you don't have to read the whole thing, and I was like, I'm gonna do my, I'm gonna riff on this. <laughs> it was a good riff. I was just, it stuck out to me when I was reading it, so I was curious. Yeah. So you're a big fan of Hedy Lamar. Yes, I Back am. Back up for those that don't know, yes. who is Hedy Lamar? So Hedy Lamar was an actress in the 1940s. Well, she was actress in other decades also, but most known for her work for MGM in the 40s. And she was known as the most beautiful woman in the world. She was a huge icon, really influenced culture. Woman copied her haircut. Um, and she's also mostly known today for inventing something called frequency hopping, which is part of all forms of wireless communication. So she is partially to thank for Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, all forms of secure wireless communication. And when I was 13, I did a historical research project on her for school and just fell in love. I got obsessed with her and I've been researching her um, ever since. I'm really fascinated by her and her life, but also how people talk about her. I feel like people really reduce her to either actress or inventor. It's this weird thing of she can't be beautiful and also smart when really she was an ambitious person with ambitions in both spheres. Um, and just all those contradictions are really interesting to me. Just like mm. Elena in uh, Zorro, she could be beautiful <laughs> and she can also be a fantastic sorts woman. Exactly. Um, no, that's really fascinating. And that do is. you feel, do you feel like you are drawn to that type of character because you're enjoying writing characters that can be more than one thing or like, what is it that really, speaks to you about her life yeah definitely um I am drawn to characters like that and I just think there's something so interesting about the way people refuse to see the whole person um and I think that's true for the characters I'm drawn to as well uh like one of my all-time favorite characters is Sansa Stark because I like that she's a bratty teenage girl at the beginning um I think it's interesting to deal with those complications rather than just having someone be completely likable mm. yeah totally fair um when you see yourself 10 years from now what are you doing i'm writing <laughs> what i'm writing i don't know i could, could be novels screenplays but i'm writing something full-time no more development or do you think you'll always do like some producing and developing i would like to stay in producing and developing um but I think at that point, probably writing full time, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, have to make that choice. Although mm -hmm. Hedy Lamar was both, uh, you know, an inventor and an actress. So who says you can't do both? Exactly. <laughs> That's very true. I think I'm going to be an astronaut and a producer writer. Just like really throw it. I mean, I don't really want to go to space, but I really want to do that G-force thing that they have to do. I just think that looks really fun. I think we could probably get you that without becoming an astronaut if you really want to do it well now i retract i only want to do it if i'm <laughs> if i'm if you get the patch <laughs> yeah i want to like yeah i don't know i don't know if i want to go to space when i think about it it freaks me out um space if you is could, scary yeah space is hella scary if you guys could get in a time machine and go back to this period even though this was kind of a fake story 
may be based on real people, also an invented character, all the conflicting information. Would you go back to this period in time? What do you think? Could you thrive in this environment? Well, David, you David, I will not be able to thrive in that environment. Okay, what if you were (laughs) Don? What if they were like, oh, this guy... You could be tanned, you know what I mean? They're just if I like, learned Spanish. Yeah. Stuck, well, they don't speak somewhere. Spanish, so, you know. Also true. Um, yeah, this particular story, yes, I'd be down. I'd be rocking with Zorro, you know, um, going to war with him. I thought it was super cool, like what he was doing, like it was, man, I was saying, like the Robin Hood story. And yeah, I just thought it was an interesting time. And it wasn't just the, like the U.S., like the like you're talking about the Spanish and uh, the Mexican Mexican community fighting for territory and like carving out what eventually would become the U.S. But it's just uh, it is an interesting time period, and I want to go look back a little more. I was kind of looking at the maps online to seeing what that all looked like, what California was, what did the U.S. end up taking from Mexico, things mm. like that. So it definitely is an interesting uh, time period. Yeah, so they I, definitely didn't out. have a border wall at this time. So like, no. at what point do you keep wandering south and you're like, oh, I'm now I'm in Mexico? Yeah. yeah. What about you, Madeline? Would you go back to... The, there was something a little bit romantic about like the, the parties and the homes and then obviously less romantic with the slave labor and, you know, <laughs> the poverty. <laughs> but, you know... Is this a time period that is interesting to you? It's definitely interesting. Uh, but how long would I have to stay there? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought about the rules of this very well. Let's say 24 hours you go back. Oh, I would definitely go back for 24 hours. I'm so also, yeah. I'm from gold country. I'm from Sacramento. Mm. And so it would be very cool to see what like my hometown, my home turf would have been like in the, the period of history that basically made California. Mm. That would we'll be say, interesting to see. Everyone like, was very clean for the most part, and I'm pretty sure this is almost like a Western kind of. Well, not really, but you know. I was in just going to say, like, you if there's like a Westworld episode mm. where you go back and you can play Zorro, you know what I mean? That would be fun. Too. That, that would be fun. That show ended right. I could have done it. It was it was getting a little, as you say, long in the tooth for me. <laughs> <laughs> that last Only season. Ever seen the pilot, and it was a bit too crazy for me but yeah. i should watch it one time um yeah no it's it's an interesting i mean i don't have a time machine i'm no hating lamar i didn't create like waves to go back and you know <laughs> travel yeah but when you become an astronaut you could do like you know figure maybe i out go gravity, through g-force so like fast and I just go backwards into the yeah. times yeah go. go find a wormhole <laughs> I, I get there and like the I just everyone is white and I'm like damn it they were right the whole time the casting was actually spot on (laughs) well would you go back Paris if you could I think I mean yeah 24 hours I think I'd go back anyway but my question is like if you die in the past do you stay in the past or like you know like if I was three-fingered Jack which would definitely be me like I definitely identify with the (laughs) character a lot like would I have to come back with less hands you know what I mean or do they like grow back I have a lot of questions is it like video game rules you die in the past and you respawn like David (laughs) David and I went to see 65, you know, which is like, they go back in time, they see dinosaurs and it's earth the whole time. Spoiler alert. I mean, you figure that out right away. But um, yeah, I mean, if you die in dinosaur times, you're still dead. You know what yeah. I mean? So is this like, yeah, just a, just a little quick trip. I mean, <laughs> the food looked really good. The dancing looked really fun. Yeah. I think we should I mean, all just tango at parties still. Just bring maybe, that back. You know what? That maybe it's not cool. even that we need a time machine. We just need to go to some tango clubs. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Get down. I'm to down some... with that whole vibe, to be honest yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. I'm the all dancing. like, yeah, give me that at more like bars and things like that. Just it's sexy. You know? It is sexy. I feel like yeah. when I was in Sydney, uh, there were I was like a swing caterer, which is basically where you like go if there's like events and stuff. And there was this one venue I used to random it's almost like being a temp waiter i don't know if you guys have that here but like event staff essentially and this one place we always used to work out i think it was like wednesday nights they had tango night and anyone could go and you would just they had a live band and you would like find a partner and i think shit like that is so cool mm-hmm. i want to do it i need to learn how to tango but i'm down you sure you yeah. can take lessons this is a big city it is <sighs> It seems like a lot of commitment, but yes, you're right. I could. <laughs> Anything that requires me to leave my home after dark, you know, that's a stretch for me. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Maybe in the summer. Yeah. This, is, this feels like a summer thing where it's like sexy and you have sangria. David, we'll go do some tango lessons. It'll be fun. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> you got to get the big skirt that you can like flick. Hell yeah. <laughs> and David's got to get like this sword that just like bashes into everyone <laughs> as he spins around. Oh, sorry. I'm so oh, sorry. Oh my God. My bad. <laughs> How did you get in here with the sword? I don't know. They let me in. I just walked over. (laughs) Um, The the swords in this movie were made out of aluminum, or as you guys would say, aluminum. Um, And they didn't make a great noise when they were clinking together. It was like clank. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to like uh, ADR all of that to be like, ching, ching, ching. You know, like more like sexy and dangerous instead of like two pots and pans like hitting together. (laughs) I want to hear that version. (laughs) I know, the non-dubbing version. Also, I did read that um, the production was annoyed because they did shoot this in Spain, I want to say, and um, or parts of it they didn't shoot in the US and the props got held up at customs uh, because they were just making sure that everything was good. And uh, yeah, I mean, all they had to do was just like hit something with it and realize it was aluminium. So yeah, whatever. Customs um, doesn't play around. They do keep, not play keep around. Keep people safe. Uh, Madeline, any final thoughts or opinions about the business? Any like random last words that you want to throw in to our listening audience before we decide if this film has aged like milk and we also have to do a shout out to someone in the cast or crew? Any gems that you want to drop? Mm immortalized forever in this episode of Age Like Milk. This is so much pressure now. I know. So much pressure. Almost as much pressure as being the sole survivor and champion of the underclass. (laughs) Fake 1890 Spain slash California slash Mexico. Um, I would just say find what you're passionate about. This industry can be so hard that if you're not writing or directing or working on something that you're interested in care about it gets even harder mm. find your passion find mm-hmm. your tribe and find your passion yeah we <laughs> love that all right kids well it is time for us to give someone from the costal crew a shout out david do you have someone and if so show us how it's done I do. So I'm going to give a shout out to Cecilia Montiel. She was the production designer on this film. She has 24 credits in production design, and she actually did production design for Desperado from Dust Till Dawn. Um, yeah, and then this movie, The Mexican, Biker Boys, and then also The Legend of Zorro, the sequel for this. So. I thought this set was really cool. Um, just where they shot it, how they shot it, uh, the production design, 
practical effects. There wasn't, there was, I think maybe one horse scene. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, where it looked like there was some green screen. Um, but besides, there was, there was, yeah, from when he was kind of below and you could kind mm-hmm. of see the outline of him. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a good shot. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, I, I thought this was amazing because of, because of like the production designs and um, things like that. So, Cecilia, thank you for your contribution and we see you and we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you. What do you think, Madeline? Who are you going to shout out? I'm going to do a double whammy because film is about collaboration. Absolutely. So I'm doing Glenn Randall Jr., who was the stunt coordinator, and Gordon A. Spencer, who was the horse trainer, because I was yes. so impressed by the scene. It was the, the chase scene where Zorro is coming up after a bunch of soldiers and he's jumping horse to horse. And it just seemed like such an impressive choreography and probably took a lot of hard work and teamwork to pull off. Hell yeah. yeah. Amazing. Especially when he was on two horses. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And also, yeah, I feel like those indus- those um, people in those jobs, like we actually love stunt doubles on this, or sorry, stunt people on this podcast because we know a few of them and we know how hard they work and they have to put their bodies on the line. And also working with animals seems really fucking hard. So I think those are great shout outs. So shout out to them. Well, guys, I went with a sound department. So the sound department on this film had 35 people credited, but I got to go with my girl, Pud Kuzak. That is her name. She was the production sound mixer and she's done so many cool things. Um, she had, was recently the sound mixer on The Lost City, which I actually thought was really fun. And I think you should go watch it if you haven't. Um, Cherry, which was shot in Cleveland at the exact same time that we were shooting um, Sweet Girl in Pittsburgh. And the funny story about that is I took myself off for a weekend in Cleveland because I had the weekend off and I didn't, I don't know anything. And I drove there and I didn't know anyone. And I checked myself into a hostel there, which I wouldn't recommend, but it's fine. (laughs) I went downstairs to the bar and there was one girl sitting at the bar at this hostel in Cleveland. And I was the producer's assistant on Sweet Girl. And she was the producer's assistant on Cherry. And she was the only person there. And she like lived five minutes away from our office in LA. It was like this totally weird thing that we met randomly in like the most random part of the world. So anyway, that's my little cherry story. Great film, very emotional. Um, Pud was also the production sound mixer on Captain Marvel, Us, Little Women, um, Mudbound, just like so many good movies. So for your contribution to this film, which would have been nothing without the sound, uh, Pud Kuzak, we see you and we appreciate you. And now, my friends, it is time where we must decide if this film has aged like milk, a.k.a. gone bad over time in the mind fridge of your mind, or has it stayed fresh, very delicious, ready to drink right now. David, what do you say? Okay, I'm going to say this movie aged like the gold of El Dorado milk. (laughs) (laughs) I think this movie appreciates and value just like that gold will and has and did. I think I saw this when I was a kid and I remember being cool. I don't, didn't remember too much of it. And then watching it again, I was like, Oh, this shit is dope. Um, Loved almost every part of this movie. I thought the acting was great. The sets were great. The stunts were great. I thought it was hilarious at parts. Um, it made me get sucked in by some of the drama at parts, where especially like um, Anthony Hopkins' character. So all around, I thought this was a great movie, especially with the young Antonio. And yeah, I think this held up for me and it aged well. What do you think, Madeline? I think it it's like buttermilk. 
where it's mm. it's got a little funk. It can still be used to make some amazing scones, but the like the pacing didn't quite work for me anymore. The Elena's character probably hopefully would have been a little stronger if written fleshed today, out. a little fleshed out. But I mean, it's still such a fun movie. It has such a cultural impact. I mean, Shrek 2 is my favorite of all the Shrek movies, and it wouldn't be the same without Puss in Boots. And we have Zorro to thank for that. That's true. I think our headspaces were in the same kind of world. I was like, this is like macadamia milk for me. (laughs) So that is a milk that truly exists. It's not my favorite milk. I personally wouldn't order it like if I had to. But obviously, if they were like, we have macadamia milk and no milk, I'd be like, well, I'll take the macadamia then. So, you know, I think some people are really like, oh, sweet macadamia milk. We love that shit. (laughs) And some people are like, that's a milk. Okay. And that was me. I was like, oh, I kind of know about this milk, but not really. And yeah, I mean, it was fine. I think some places it doesn't belong, like, yeah, in feminist critical theory. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a milk, I guess. I know about it now. And uh, I, don't need it, I don't need it every day of my coffee. You know what I mean? I can't it's wait fine. till I see macadamia milk in my life at some point and remember this. <laughs> they also, they also have the pistachio milk, you know. <laughs> Which is actually pretty good. Oh, I God, like the pistachio hilarious. milk. I just think, like, is that even milk? Like, <laughs> when I was in Ireland, I thought they were fucking with me because they could tell we were foreign. But these two baristas at this cafe in Ireland were like, something, something, potato milk. And Scott and I were like, the fuck? And then I've recently <laughs> heard about potato milk in LA. So lots of different kinds of milk. <laughs> That's a new yeah. milk. New milk just dropped. A ton of milk. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is in um in Parks and Recreation. I think they make this joke where they're like beef milk, and it's just milk. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I feel about it all. Oh, but you know that's what? Great. I agree with you. The for the sheer references, like the Zorro references, I think it's actually transcended what is the film into like the joke of the film. It's like when David and I watched Scream. Finally, I had never seen it, but I had seen all the scary movie movies, and I was like. They just lifted the entire thing. And it was like, (laughs) I knew the film from the piss takes. And I think that's kind of the same vibe with Zorro, like with Mm -hmm. Puss in Boots and just random. Yeah, like lots of nods to it. There is, uh, I think it was in the 70s, a different Zorro movie. And I wonder if that act, that main actor, I want to go look. And I want to see if that was played by a Mexican-American or just a Mexican actor or somebody of Spanish descent or if it was just... Anthony Hopkins. Yes. So <laughs> what I'm if it curious. was Anthony Hopkins in the seventies? <laughs> that that would have been a twist. I mean, here we go again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, when he played the butler, I read that uh, they based like Alfred from Batman on him, and then he also played Alfred at one point, which is hilarious. And also, there was a similarity between Zorro's cave and Batman's cave. I think you kind of alluded to that earlier, David. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Look. not Madeline said that. Oh, Madeline. Uh, Let's attribute to the right person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think for the cultural significance, I mean, like I said, I'll drink the macadamia milk if I have to. But um, yeah, that's the show, guys. <laughs> Madeline, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people like follow your journey? Are you more private? Do you want to promote anything? Tell us tell us the things. I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm more of a reader than a tweeter, but I'm I'm there. It's at Madeline Star with two R's. You can be like, "What's your beef with buttercream, Madeline?" If you yeah. uh, 
you know, I, yeah. I love buttermilk. I'm not dissing it, but it has a funk to it. I honestly don't know what that is. I wish I did. I, I like scones. Never... This is what I'm saying. At macadamia, and I've never heard of buttermilk before. Well, You've never I, heard of... I've heard of buttermilk. No one said it on this podcast. Before. No it's one like said... a thick milk, right? It's like yeah. a cream. Yeah. You, should, no one... you shouldn't drink Those it. Those are two it's... new ones. It's like sour and cultured. You mostly use it for baking. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Did you hear that, Antonio? Your future stepdaughter called your roofie sour. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, your mom's like, how dare you? I called um, it funky. Funky, which is also a good thing these days. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, go follow Madeline on Twitter. Keep an eye out for stuff that she's written. It's only a matter of time. Um, thanks for joining us. But for now, David, you should just go and check your fridge. And make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Gross milk is gross. Gross milk is macadamia milk. So that's sure our show. <laughs> um, until we see you on the next one, please remember to send us your suggestions. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all the places that we are. But yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye.